Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 is where we're going to start today. And as we're looking at this, I want to talk to you about the greatest emotional need of a man. I know a lot of times you come on Father's Day and you kind of want to avoid it a little bit because you feel afraid you're going to get picked on a little bit. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the greatest emotional need that men have, according, I think, to the Scripture and Christian psychology as well. And then we're going to talk about all about that one emotional need. And that word is respect, all right? If you remember, how many of you remember the comedian Rodney Dangerfield? Anybody here? He made a whole career. Hey, I never get any respect, you know what I mean? And he made a whole career out of that, telling one joke right after another. And then how many of you heard the song by Aretha Franklin, Respect, all right? And so you know that was written by Otis Redding about two years before that and talking about his own respect. And how many of you have ever done this before? You've looked straight in the eye of your teenager and said, you may not love me, but you're going to respect me. What would cause a man to do that? What would cause a man to say, I'd rather have you respect me than love me? Well, we look at Ephesians chapter 5, and this book is about... Uh, Paul is, is talking to us about his uh, doctrine and the first three chapters of this book. And then he talks to us about the practical application of that teaching and the second three chapters. At the beginning of this, this passage in Ephesians 5, 18, he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. And here's what happens when Jesus Christ is Lord of our life and we're, we're empowered by the Spirit of God. What happens is, the Bible says in verse uh, 19, we have a a worshipful heart, a joyful heart. Verse 20, a thankful heart. Verse 21, a submissive heart. Then it gets into the family. And there are three characters in this, the wives, the husbands, and then finally the children. Let's begin reading, however, in our text this morning in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and you shall live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As we look at this, I want to look at four things. Number one, respect must be given. Secondly, respect should be earned. Thirdly, respect, when you have it, will be demonstrated. And lastly, respect cannot be demanded. First of all, I want us to look, beginning in verse 31, respect must be given. Two different types of people here, wives and the children, the offspring of the home. First of all, it says the wives. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Talking about marriage here, in the marriage relationship, you get together, you have this relationship, not, it's not just physical, but emotional, mental, uh, and uh, you, you have a complete relationship of one flesh. This mystery is profound that I'm saying, referring to Christ in the church. If you read the whole passage, you will discover that he compa- he's comparing marriage to the church. And he's really giving more of an illustration of church than he is even a marriage. But then he, she says, he says, love your wives and then let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, I was looking up this word and I was very surprised by the word. In the original language, it actually has the word phobia. 
which where we get our words fear. Now, I've shared this uh, before in other uh, venues as well, that there's two different types of fear in the Bible. One is to be afraid. You know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not talking about being afraid of God. It's talking about a reverential fear, which means that, God, I'm afraid that I'm going to do something to displease you. It's like the, like the story about the little the young girl sitting in the back seat of a car with a guy, and she says, he says, are you afraid? Are you afraid of your dad? Are you afraid that you're going to hurt or your father's going to hurt you if you do anything? She says, no, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt my father. She loved her father so much. And that's what it's talking about here in the Bible when it's talking about fear. So you love your husband enough to where you don't want to disappoint. The respecting. And so there's a positive there as well as a negative of fear. Now here's what it's talking about here. It's talking about an unconditional respect for your husband or your dad. In this passage, that's what it's talking about. Now, we look, and it says, husbands love your wives, verse 25. That's the same original Greek word. Of course, the Bible is written in originally in Greek. As John three sixteen, where it says, for God so loved the world. Now, that word love, agape, has to do with an unconditional love, as much as you can give unconditional love. And that can only come through Christ. And only God can give that kind of unconditional love. But when we talk about unconditional love, where do you hear about that? Well, you hear it about in the movies, you hear about it on television, you read about it in novels. And, and we romanticize that and to say, yeah, I've heard of unconditional love, and I think my husband ought to love me unconditionally. But as one lady was talking to one Christian counselor, in fact, I read, read his book called Love and Respect, uh, Emerson Egrich, Egridge has said, he was talking to a couple of ladies about their marriages, and they said, I've never even heard of un- unconditional respect. And it's an unconditional respect in a sense that you are going to give your husband or your father unconditional respect whether they've earned it or not. And you say, well, how can, how can a person actually do that? Well, only through Christ. How can you love someone unconditionally? Only through Christ. How can you respect someone unconditionally? It's only through Christ. Now, here's what happens. As he, as Egrich explains, when you say that a husband ought to love their wife as Christ loved the church, man, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. Then you say a husband ought to be respectful and earn his respect. Then the husband becomes, or the father becomes both responsible for the love and the respect in the marriage. And the wife or the children have no responsibility of that. And so no wonder, he says, so much pressure is placed upon fathers and husbands when they're responsible for both, and many shut down because they know they cannot respond to that. Now, coupled with the fact that no, Mark Twain has said, of course, Mark Twain's no expert on things, but Mark Twain has said, no man respects himself. Now, think about that for just a moment. Your man, deep down in his heart, not only needs respect, and it's, it, it, it's multiplied many times over because he doesn't have the respect for himself that he wants to have. He knows his sin. He knows things aren't right. He knows he doesn't live up to expectations. So he already is in, in a negative sense. And so now he becomes responsible for the love and the respect of a marriage. Men, even more than women, are, have an honor code. And it's, it's really exemplified, uh, illustrated a lot in, in battle. Many of you have maybe uh, been in the Army or Armed Forces. 
and you fought beside someone, and I, I haven't had to do that in my life, but I've talked to many people that have. And I said, you know, they would tell me, they're not even fighting for the country. They're not even fighting for what's right. They're doing that, but they're also fighting for the guy right beside them. Amen. There's just something about that honor, that honor code that they would have with one another. And so we see this, and we look at it, and we understand that one of the reasons why men sometimes get angry, shut down, is just they would say that when you don't respect them, it's like a contempt upon their life. And so we look at this and we understand, too, that children need to honor their father. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Children. The word techna means any really offspring in the home. And it says obedience. That's, that's much stronger than the word submissive. Obedience means to follow the instructions of someone. And so you honor by obeying. And it says honor your father and your mother. And you say, what's the difference between respect and honor? Not much. If you look at the original language of the Bible, it's just not much. The best way I can explain it to you is this. Respect is the attitude. Honor are the things that you do because you have respect. And so one's an attitude and one is more of an action. And it says we need to honor our father and our mother. Why? He says because it's right. It's the right thing to do. That's the way God said. If you want to obey God, that's what you're going to have to do. But it also, it's because of our own protection. God has set up uh, certain things in our life and uh, positions of authority in our life in order to protect us. And the best way I can describe this is sort of like, you know, God's an umbrella over us. He protects us from the bad weather of, of life. And then under that is the husband or father, then the mother, and then the children. And when the children obey their parents, he says, for this is right, God has an extra level of protection upon them. Let me explain this by quoting or reading to you 1 Samuel chapter 15. It says, For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Now, what does it mean by that? It's taking an Old Testament situation where a king rebelled against God, and the prophet saying, look, rebellion against authority is like witchcraft. Well, what's witchcraft? Witchcraft is practiced in the occult. Witchcraft uh, you, you come to a point where you're opening yourself up uh, to the devil, really, and to the wiles of the devil. And so if you're under the authority, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not tempted. It doesn't mean that you don't have things going on in your life that maybe are even addictions in your life, but you're saving yourself from a lot of temptation and a lot of mess in your life but when, as, as you do when you rebel. There's a lot more coming on, raining upon you. There's a lot more temptation. There's a lot more hurt. There's a lot more stuff because you're opening yourself up to Satan. And he says, you do this for protection, but also you do it because it's rewarded. Look in verse 3, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. It's talking in the land, really about alluding to the promised land of the Old Testament. But it's simply saying this, it's going to be a better quality of life for you. But it's also probably going to be a better quantity of life as well. Because when you live on the authority that God has placed over your life, what happens is that 
you, you don't do some of the things that you would do if you rebelled. And if you don't do those things, chances are you're going to live a longer life. You're going to be healthier. And so you do it because it's right. You do it because it's for your protection. And thirdly, you do it because it's rewarded. But secondly, and I know this sounds contradictory, but respect should also be earned. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. And then in verse um, 28, in the same way husbands love your wives as own bodies. And then we find that uh, in verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And so there's a lot here in the scripture about loving your wife. Now, but wives, let me ask you something. Would you say this morning that you would be perfectly satisfied in life if your husband loved you because he had to? In other words, you're going to live the way you want to live, and you're not going to love him in return, and you're going to be the kind of person you want to be, but you expect unconditional love in spite of all that. No, no, no woman really wants that. You want to be loved for who you are. You want to be loved because you're special to your husband. But what you're saying is with unconditional love is that you want to say, I want my husband to love me for who I am. I want my husband to love me emotionally. But when I mess up, and you will, I don't want to be judged. I want to be unconditionally loved. So what? Dorothy must not be here. No, that's all right. <laughs> So what is a man looking for with unconditional respect? Look, I want you to respect me because I'm a respectful person. I'm a respectful guy. I've earned some of this respect, and and I'm doing the very best I can, but I'm going to mess up. And when I mess up, I want to be unconditionally respected. And so we look at it, and we understand that men, they want to be respectful. Listen to this uh, little poem. Author unknown, took it from one of James Dobson's old books. Here's what it says. Across the fields of yesterday, he sometimes comes to me, a little lad just back from play, the boy I used to be. He smiles at me so wistfully when once he's crept within. It is as though he had hoped to see the man I might have been. No man respects himself. A great, we're starting from the negative and we're trying to just to come up. And we need people in our life to respect us because it's given, not just because it's earned, but in longevity of respect, we have to work in such a way that we earn it. How do you do that? You do it the same way you earn, you get unconditional love, and that is only through Jesus Christ. You see, when you receive Christ into your life as Savior and Lord, your sins are forgiven. And so anything that you think that you, you haven't earned or you, you don't respect yourself, why don't you respect yourself? Because you're not living up. We're not living up to what our own standard is. Never mind God's standard. We're saying, well, you know, I don't like God's standard. I don't like God's rules. Look, we're not even living up to our own rules, our own expectations of our life. And so we need that forgiveness of sin. And when we get forgiveness of sin at the cross, we get rid of the guilt We get rid of the guilt. We get rid of a lot of the regrets. Now, we have the power, with the power of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18, to live the Christian life. Now, we can live a life that earns from respect, but we're going to mess up, and we need to be given respect in spite of the fact that we mess up. 
And so we look. And we ask ourselves the question, well, what do we need to do? How, do? how can we honor our parents? How can we honor our husband? Well, ask them. You know, ask them. Sometimes, you know, when, when my, my mother was living and now my, my dad has Alzheimer's, I, I should have asked them. And I never even thought about it. What can I do to, re, to respect you, to honor you? You know, I just thought, well, I'm living a good life, and that's what you, that, that would be one of the number one things, I would think. But what about some other things as well? Well, with the wives, according to the Scripture, admiration, one of the great needs of men. And you do that by not rejecting his decisions in your heart. It says, submit yourselves to your husbands, verse 22. What does that really mean? Let me, I don't have time to get into it like I did a few months ago, but let me just say this. In every business, every church, every family, there is a structure in that. And there is a, a person that makes those final decisions. And the person who makes the final decisions, you say, well, they have the power, but they also have the burden. They have the burden. Sometimes, you know, I, I can remember a time I was on a, a church committee, and this guy was, was saying, this is what we ought to do. We got to do this. We got to do this. I said, okay, all right, you, you are the guy then. You're going to make the decision for this church. And whatever you say, the entire church of 2,000 people are going to be affected by your decision. What's going to be your call? And the guy looked at me and said, I don't want to be responsible for that. Exactly. You may be a vice president of a bank, but, you know, the president, you, you can go to the board meeting, you can go and talk to the president, you can say, this is what I feel. This, you can get emotionally involved in it. You can rant and rave. You can empty out your heart. But you know that the other guy is, has the monkey on his back to make the decision. That's where the pressure is. And that's what God made men to do, to have that kind of pressure in the home. And know this, guys. You know, it's, it's a great compliment. Would it be a great compliment for your wife to come to you and say, look, I rant and raved about this. I, I've spoken my piece. But you know, I know you're a man of prayer. I know you're a man of God. I know you're going to make the right decision. I trust you. What would that do to you guys? That'd put a lot of pressure on you. That's what it'd do. Because deep down, you want to be able to say one day, well, look, I know it was a big mistake, but you made me do it. It was the kids. It was you, honey. You're the one that, no, it's, it's our decision. And you honor, and sometimes we make mistakes, and you honor, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a president of a corporation or a business or your husband, you honor them by not rejecting those decisions in your heart. And lastly, I'd say, hey, joy. An unhappy wife is a public rebuke to her husband. Joy in your life, and you can get that by being grateful to God and being grateful to your husband for what he's done. What about children? Ask him. Ask your dad. But there's some admiration also involved. Charles Stanley is, uh, many of you, have you ever heard of Charles Stanley, Dr. Charles Stanley, pastor of First Baptist Church of Atlanta, the most list, watched person probably preacher on television, uh, maybe all time so far. His son, Andy Stanley, uh, pastors the largest church maybe in America. Uh, last I heard, 35,000 people on any given Sunday morning uh, through probably 10, 12 different campuses all across Georgia, mostly Georgia. But uh, Andy Stanley, in one of his books, Visioneering, 
wrote this in the cover of the book, his dedication page. This book is lovingly dedicated to my dad, Charles Stanley, on whose shoulders I have been privileged to stand. It was from that vantage point that I caught a glimpse of what could be and should be in my life. But don't you know that Dr. Stanley cut that out of the book and framed it on his wall? Wouldn't that be something? For, your, for you to call basically your dad a Hall of Fame type dad. Admiration, obedience, loyalty, and just being grateful. Being grateful. You know, why, why do you think your dad looked at you sometimes and said, boy, when I was your age, you heard that before? Man, I walked, I, I walked through the snow going to school in Miami, uphill both ways. And you, you move ahead a little bit, and I wouldn't tell that to my kids, but I, I caught, you know, when I was your age, I was the remote control. We didn't have all that. We didn't have any computers. No computers. No, we had phones hanging on the wall with a big long cord attached to it. When I was your age, and I caught myself, man, I'm just like my dad. Why am I doing that? I tell you why, why we do that is because the children are not showing any gratitude. And we want them to say, I'm grateful. And if they show a grateful heart, you'll never have to hear about the good old days. All right? Don't you love hearing about that? Gratitude. And then good behavior, which I've mentioned before. Lastly, as I close this message, respect, please listen up, cannot be demanded. It just can't be. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How do you provoke them to anger? Well, you get angry with them. How do you, why do you get angry with him? Probably because they're not showing you respect. I've discovered in my own life, I could point back to about three different occasions with each child that I uh, really got into it with them. Really a big argument with each one. I wasn't planned that way three times. But in each case, I think eight out of nine or maybe nine out of nine times really, it was all about respect. They either were not respecting my wife or they were not showing respect to me. And something within us, whether it's subordinate at work, and I've had that as well, there's something within us begins to stir. How dare they treat me with such, such contempt? How dare they show me such uh, disrespect? And they're angry and they're, they're maybe shouting, your children are shouting at you. And guess what, folks? I'm, I'm just going to let you in on something. Teenagers are going to get that way. Teenagers are going to be respect, disrespectful. Just, just prepare yourself for it. They're rebelling against childhood. They're trying to become an adult. And they want to vent a little bit. But they did that. And, and why was that? Well, for, for a long time, I didn't know why. And God revealed through my, my Bible study one day, said the reason why you're that way, Dwayne, is because you've put respect on the throne of your life. You kind of demand it because it's too important to you to be respected. And I've seen that with man after man after man. It can not only not be demanded, but let me put it another way. It can't be worshipped. You have to give that over to the Lord as well. You cannot demand it. I was um, talking, I've talked to a lot of people over the years and 
I know that some of you are thinking here, well, how can I, Pastor, you don't, you don't understand my situation with my dad or my mom, and how in the world can I ever show them respect because, because of this and this and this? And I realize some of you are in that position. But let me put it to you in a little bit better. Let, let, me, let me share this with you. I had a guy talking to me, and it wasn't a counseling situation, just a, kind of just talking. And he said that he lost one of his parents. And ever since he lost his parents, he couldn't get it out of his head, the negative stuff about the relationship. The few times in that relationship that he was either let down or scolded for something or something happened. He said, you know, it's been years since I've thought about anything like that. He said, I thought about it at the funeral and I can't get it out of my mind. So I didn't know what to tell him. I didn't have my counseling hat on, you know. I didn't know. God just sort of revealed something to me, and I said, well, let me ask you something. You had friends growing up, right? He said, yeah. I said, well, think about those friends and think about their parents. I said, you thinking about their parents? I said, the actual specific ones in your neighborhood that you went over and you spent the night with them, you, can you remember those parents? He thought for a minute, and he said, yeah, I can. I, I can do that. Yep, I got them in my head right now. I said, let me ask you something. Would you swap or exchange your parents or any of their parents? I said, don't answer because, because you say, oh, no, I love my parents. No. No, would you have been better off? You think, or you know, you'll be better off with those other parents than your own? He thought for a minute, he says, no. I can honestly say I would have not swapped my parents out for any of those parents. And I said, well, I realize maybe some things happened and your parents weren't perfect. But it sounds to me like you had a lot better than you thought. You just see a light turn on his head. He told me later that that's what helped, get, helped him get over it. So let me ask you. I'm not talking about the, the people on TV. I'm not talking about Dick Van Dyke and Andy Griffith and the Lifetime movies. Real parents. You say, yeah, I think I could swamp a few. Well, that means that either you haven't respected and been thankful for your parents or there's some thing, issues with your parents that you need to deal with because they were not earning respect at all. And so what about you? You know, I can... Um, sometimes life happens and bad things happen. Uh, my sister was married at a young age and uh, married a long time to this one guy. I had the privilege of sharing Christ with both of them. Both of them indicated they received Christ. Um, They had two children together. But later, my wife and I moved off to seminary and we moved off pastoring another church. And during that time, he did some things he shouldn't have done and broke up the marriage. My My sister was brokenhearted. I remember being officiating my, my niece's wedding and not really saying a lot to my brother-in-law because, or my former brother-in-law because I just felt like I needed to be loyal to my sister and that would have looked horrible to her because she was hurting so bad. But she got over it. She did. She, she got through it. And uh, about 10 years later, she remarried and she's married to a wonderful guy now. Just salt of the earth. We're good friends. But I had not talked to Stanley, my first brother-in-law, in a long time and he was a good brother-in-law to me very supportive. 
uh, during those teenage years. And I heard when I was visiting uh, last summer, I was visiting uh, my dad's house. My sister lives right beside him. And um, I was talking. She said, well, you know, Stanley's uh, got cancer, and he doesn't have it a few months to live. I said, wow, that's really too bad. That's really bad. And so I, we, we continued to talk about other things. I got in the car, and I started driving back here. And I thought, a thought came to my mind, and God just seemed to tell me, you need to go by and visit Stanley and tell him that he was a good brother-in-law. And I thought to myself, God, I don't want to do that. You know, I hadn't talked to him in years. Must be the devil. You know, the devil must be talking to me, you know. And, uh, but I thought, well, I know where he lives, or I thought where he used to live. I'm going to drive over that way, and, um, and just in case it's God telling me. And so... I drive over that way, decided to go in the driveway after driving up and down the street a few times, making sure I was doing the right thing. And I knocked on the door, no answer. Knocked on the door again, no answer. I walk off, and he opens the door behind me. I turn around, and he really looks bad. I mean, he, he was just skin and bones. Hardly recognized him. And he said, Dwayne? And I said, yeah, how you doing? You know, just want to come by and see you. He was kind of apprehensive a little bit, didn't know why I was even there. And I walk in, we kind of exchange a few pleasantries, and I talked about his cancer. And um, I want to make sure that he was right with God. And um, I shared a little bit with him, and he assured me that he'd gotten himself right with God and was ready. And I said, well, the real reason, one of the reasons I came by, I guess the real reason, is that I just want to take an opportunity to thank you for being such a good brother-in-law to me. Now, keep in mind, there was a time where I was very angry with him. There was a time, I mean, he cheated on my sister. It wasn't a good situation at all. I was really upset. He had done some things to our family. But, you know, there just comes a time where you've got to forgive, move on. And I said, I just want to thank you for being such a good brother-in-law to me. First time I've ever seen him cry. And during the last few months of his life, he mentioned that to his kids many times over how I came by, and what I said. You know, I had a warning there, but sometimes we don't have a warning. Sometimes our dads, our moms, brothers, sisters, whoever, pass away, and we have no warning. How wonderful it would be for you to call your dad today instead of just saying, hey, I just want to wish you a happy Father's Day. You would say to him, you know, I just want to thank you for being such a wonderful dad to me. It not only means something to him, but years from now, it'll mean something to you. So how can I do that? Only through the power of Christ. And I'm going to ask Brother Herb to come at this point. And I'm going to ask him to pray with you. And if you want to receive Christ into your heart, he's going to give you the opportunity to do that. And I'll see you soon. Thank you, Pastor. Outstanding message. Stand with me, because some of you may want to come forward. You know, real, real forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ. And I know that all of us have hurts in lives, in our lives, sometimes memories, some of them good, some of them bad. But if you're here this morning, and you can do it where you're sitting, or you can do it here, 
and you don't know for sure that you have Jesus Christ in your life and you've been forgiven, it's very hard for you to forgive somebody else. So I'm going to invite those who want to come. If, they, if you want to come forward, we'll have some deacons here. If you want to come, like I did years ago at Briar Lake Baptist Church, and talk to a deacon and pray to receive Christ, that invitation is open. You have a card here. I hope everybody's filled this out. You have an opportunity on the card at the back to, if you want to receive Christ, you can put that down that you have done that. I'm going to pray a few minutes, and uh, you can pray with me as I pray. If you'd like to have more information about starting a personal relationship, you're not sure this morning, then I'm going to encourage you to mark that, and we'll make sure you get the information. If you'd like to be baptized, we're going to have a baptism on July the 8th uh, here at the church. And if you receive Christ and haven't been baptized, I would invite you to sign up out there with uh, Peggy at the front table uh, and let us know you'd like to be baptized. We're also going to have that day a Discover First class. Uh, that's how you're going to be able to uh, join the church. Uh, everybody has to go through that class. If you've been coming and you haven't joined the church, but you'd like to, we'd ask you to sign up for that class. That's also on July the 8th. And if you're, uh, and that's if you're interested in joining the church. And if you'd like to have a visit from a minister, just check that. Right now, as uh, we have our invitation time, uh, I'm going. If you'd like to come forward, please do that. If there's anything you want to pray about, uh, please do that. Uh, but pray uh, with me, and then after this short time, I have a few announcements I want to make before I sit back down. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy of being here, Father. Lord, I pray that we might recognize that it's a privilege to be able to come and gather and worship our Lord and Savior. Lord, if we're here today and we don't know for sure that we go to heaven if we die, we don't know if we've been forgiven. But, Lord, we want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and I ask you, Father, that for those who would like to do that, for them just to pray with us this very simple prayer. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is your son. He died for me on the cross. And he has the power to forgive me of my sin. So, Jesus, right now, I ask you to forgive my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.